everyone. Welcome to the, the Hardware Crew. I'm Andy. We've got Jamie here. And we've also got Stefan. Part of this podcast is talking about the hardware industry. My background, about 15 to 20 years in the hardware industry. We'll be talking about everything from employment issues, industry issues, supply issues, just general business issues in the hardware industry as well. Um, it's an open conversation and we're just here. We're going to break a couple of eggs. This is our first podcast, but we'll see how we go. Um, so we've got Jamie here. Hello, everybody. Uh, I've, I'm fresh blood in the hardware industry, effectively. I edit the hardware journal, sub-edit, uh, finished school six or seven years ago, went to university and stumbled around a few retail jobs, uh, spent a little bit of time kind of on-site, ended up becoming a rigger for a little bit. How are you finding the hardware industry? Uh, it's... Look, Interesting. I don't think... I think every single industry has its problems. The hardware industry probably is one of those industries that is very easy for the public eye to see when it has issues because everybody goes to Bunnings, everybody goes to Home, Timber and Hardware, everybody goes to their local independent for anything. There is nobody that's not affected by the hardware industry at just about every level um, from... You know, oh, you got mum and pops, you got kids, yeah. Exactly, it's... I always used to say, like, people always used to say the hardware industry was like a general retail job or a step-in job, but it's a real service-based industry. Yep, absolutely. It's a very fulfilling industry for the store owners um, because they're solving problems. They're not just selling, not taking away from, like, just jeans, selling a pair of pants or something. You're, you're helping someone hang a picture. You're helping someone that, you're helping the, yep. the guy who's broke their missus' vase and then they've got to <laughs> stick it back together. So it's a really service-orientated industry, which is really important especially with the times at the moment. We saw over COVID as well. It's very important to be service-orientated. Um, so it's a very fulfilling industry because of that. Absolutely. And I think, I suppose you would almost say that um, it is a service industry, but you also allow people to be a service industry mm-hmm. in a sense. It, you, can't, you can't do anything without the hardware industry. Yeah. We, we don't have a city without a hardware industry. We don't have anything exactly right. at all. It's it's probably up there with the most influential industry in the country and around the world sort of thing. And again, showing over COVID that as soon as you start shutting down these businesses, shutting down these industries, hardware obviously stayed open. We are quite lucky in the hardware industry to stay Absolutely. open. Um, but it really showed the panic like at store level, yep. what was caused due to that. Yep. Because like, it was like if you put GoPros in some of these stores, like I talked to some stores that had – 40% growth. Like I went to a, I spoke to a store the other day that had, um, they were averaging 240 customers a day. They went there, 880 customers a day. Like, holy hell, stuff managing that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like you could just imagine the absolute mess in the business, trying to just stock shelves and all that sort of stuff. So the mental health of the business obviously is very affected over that. And I suppose talking in a retail and an employment sense, it is not a sort of job that you can just throw anybody in and in three days' time, they're an expert yep. in that field. It's not... It's a it's, personality business. Absolutely. And it would take months and months to be really quite competent at serving a customer in the hardware industry, especially when you go... There are so many... Every single aisle is a completely different yep. sort of product field and it's there's no way that anybody can master that very quickly. No, exactly right. And, and obviously we've got the supermarket type hardware like with the large, in the large um, multinational type businesses that we've got, like Bunnings and stuff like that. But then obviously all the independents and all those other type of businesses out there are doing so well and they're, they're really hanging their hat on that service-orientated and very personality-driven as well, um, That's which is massively part of it. 
employment 100% from stores I've spoken to recently is the biggest issue. Um, a lot of them, like they've hired someone and they just never turned up. Mm. They're very, like, I'm talking to people daily. They're saying that exact thing. Like I've had people I've spoken to today alone that have secret ads up right now and they'll normally get 200 resumes and they're getting three. Um, so that, that talent pool is definitely shrinking massively. Um, don't know if that's part of Job Seeker or just everyone's fatigued over the last year as well. Um, it, it's definitely a massive issue. And that's why we really wanted to focus on that at the very start of this podcast because everyone is feeling that issue. No matter what industry you're in, I've got many mates in different industries and they're all saying the exact same thing, employment, um, whether employing new staff or managing the staff in their business right now, it's, it's a massive issue. Um, so we're trying to help facilitate and just I suppose it's comforting to know that everyone's got the same problem. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know how comforting that is, but it's, it's, it's definitely a massive issue out there in the moment. Yeah, and that's, that's, I suppose, why today we thought we would bring in a retailing expert and somebody who has made, you know, their livelihood in that sort of field, and that is Stefan, uh, who has a renowned business strategist, written multiple books on the field, uh, probably, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the most important aspect in any business is its team and its staff, and there is no point running a business without decent staff without having the right team who, and I don't want to take away from his sort of speech, but he, and I've, you know, talking about the five R's, that sort of, which Stefan will get into later, the importance of retailers basically and staff. So Yeah, cool. Stefan, have it. You just sort of gives a bit of a brief background on you. Well, yeah, I'm the uh, CEO and founder of Business Benchmark Group and we're heavily invested over um, 25 years in working with hardware, trades, construction-based businesses. And basically, we, we, we partner up with our clients and they're small business owners, they're, they're independents, and they truly um, wear their heart on their sleeve and they've gotten to where they've gotten by, by sheer hard work and the opportunity to grow leverage. And leverage comes in, sev- in various ways. It comes in other people's time. It comes in other people's money, which happens when you build a reputation for being a responsible and integrity-based, service-based provider. In other words, people trust you to put a deposit on on their next lot of goods or pre-order goods because they back you for delivering on time and on budget. And many of our clients go on to grow teams that truly exceed them and ultimately become their succession plan. <laughs> so team is definitely the core to any business anywhere in the world. It's the heartbeat of your business. Now, for many small business owners and independent owners, we sort of need to learn. It's like trusting your uh, 16-year-old daughter. At some point, it's okay to let them go out and, and they're going to come home. And no different for your team. You've got to trust them. So what do you feel, like talking about teams in a business, what do you feel is the like the number one, like you're talking culture, like what do you feel is the really to build a strong team in a workplace right now? What Like if you had to say first point, where would you start? I would always start with communication. Yep. I would always I would always start with and in this day and age it's okay to be vulnerable. You don't know you don't necessarily need to be the strongest and most robust leader, but you need to be clear and you need to be rigid in what is the rules of the game and that's where culture is born and bred and exceeded. Mm-hmm. So being really clear about where are we going? What does that look like? What are the standards? 
how is it that we, we're all in this together and we don't need to be perfect, but we need to be committed to that? How do we deliver on time and on budget and a little bit more than what we promised? How do we ensure we stay solution-focused versus what would you like with that and therefore you're an order-taker? Which goes back to what you were sharing earlier as far as um, it's so much more than just being the, the person behind the counter or... Not just the, clipping tickets. Or, or, or stacking the shelves, yeah, yeah. right? There's so much more. And in fairness, when it comes back to team and leaders, everybody comes with arms and legs, but their mind and their heart is for free. So how do you tap into that? And it can only happen through communication, transparency, the ability to sit around the table and say, okay, what is working, what is not working, what are we doing about it? And the answer to the third question there, what are we doing about it, if you continuously ask that question, what are we doing about it, well, you're going to find out who's playing the game and who ultimately is hiding behind rocks or let's call it shelves and counters. Communication is definitely a hard one, um, especially now obviously with multi-generational workforce. Um, like obviously the hardware industry, a lot of stores started in that sort of the 80s, so a lot of store owners are in their 50s, 60s, 70s now. So obviously multi-generational management is hard. Like the boomers and trying to talk to millennials is always hilarious um, and they hate each other, which is just another one that's always fun. Like you talk to store owners and they're just like, oh, I just can't, these millennials right now. Like it's just, <laughs> but like obviously they're going to make up over 30, like a third of our workforce very soon, um, if not more, and it's very important for them to embrace how they need to be managed. So communication across generations is important obviously and how do you feel? And one of the most important things that must be communicated and constantly communicated is, okay, where are we going? What does that look like? How do we ensure we get everyone's buying to, it's no different to attracting new customers, right? Your team, your team is the most important customer to your business. And the most important thing, whether it's a millennial or a boomer, is we want to belong to something that's going somewhere. Not everyone's cut out to own or lead a team, in all fairness. The facts are 13%, 13% of adults in the world are leading or owning a business, which means in it's round massive. figures, nine out of 10 are working on someone else's team. There's nothing wrong with that. So the number one and most important thing is where are we going and what does that look like and can I get buy-in to be part of that? First and most important thing in building a team. So if you're not communicating that or you're not constantly challenging that, and creating a higher level of standard around that, then you're miscommunicating to 70% of your people, whether they're boomers or they're millennials. Yeah. A big thing I noticed when I was managing teams like that was very much what you're saying, um, like transparency in your communication is very important, which a lot of the older business owners are not used to about showing everything. They're not used to sharing their profits. They're not used to sharing if there's rebates or what discounts they actually are physically getting or if the business is doing bad or if the business is doing well, they don't want to show that because they used to always hold it close to their heart. And I think like definitely managing the new generation, especially millennials as being part of one, like knowing where you're at is very important in business these days and it really helps drive what you'll want to do in the business. Like if you're if the business is suffering and the, a lot of people want to know that so they know they need to work harder, it won't make them quit or anything, but it really makes them help grow themselves. So I think it's very important, like you're saying, with communication and transparency. So the first and most important thing in growing a team right now, and, th- and these, are f- these are facts, is 
People want to belong to something going somewhere. The second most important thing, which is totally misunderstood as well, is people want to be appreciated. Now, what does appreciation look like? Well, it's no different than walking past, Andy, good job. Saw you do that. It's amazing. Mm. Three days in a row you've done that. And it's hilarious how much that doesn't happen. I, I so <laughs> appreciate <ridiculous>. you <laughs> for doing that. Yeah, so simple. Out of the blue, no money involved. And therefore, the third most important thing, which is where we've got it all wrong, is money. Yeah. Getting paid money and the salary level is the third most important thing. Now, all things being equal, if you want to attract A graders to your business and in a skill shortage, which is it's, it's a New Zealand and Australian issue right mm-hmm. now, at 5.1% unemployment in Australia as of May, this is an issue. It's real. But in saying that, if you're building something that's going somewhere and you are truly building a culture of appreciation but also accountability and standards are high, paying an extra $10,000 a year which equates to $200 a week or $30 a day is the difference between an A grade or a not-so-A-grade, and I think we've just got to get our head around that. I do find it interesting that people are always, there's always been such a philosophy in, a philosophy is in that we are so happy to spend our hard-earned on a good product that we know is going to last, but at the same time, a business owner may not want to spend the same sort of money on a good staff member that is going to last, that is going to deliver higher yields, higher results. You you don't put your money into something that you know is not going to pan out and yet in a sense that's what sort of not necessarily paying the hot, the right amount will get you. And it's also important to note that, you know, identifying future leaders and bringing them through the journey of, you know, one to five years of concentrated future leadership application and dedication and a and a, and a program that ensures they're constantly being taken to their edge and they become your future leaders is no two ways about it the most important thing you do in your business. As is every so often you bring in an A grader that might cost you a little bit more, but what they do is they bring in and elevate the new average. But growing future leaders within your business, no different to a football team, and any sporting team, you've got your young guys and girls coming through and then occasionally you go and get a Buddy Franklin or a Scott Pendlebury to the team. That's how you grow something that becomes truly exitable. Exitable is the ability to exit by choice, whether you're handing it over to a team, a management team that's better than you, or you sell it to an investor that's prepared to pay you seven, eight, nine multiple on the value. Yeah, look, so... Obviously, you're talking about sort of um, wage levels. and So if a business feels like, oh, look, I just can't pay anymore, what are other ways that they can motivate their staff, like work-life balance, flexible hours? Like there's obviously been a lot in the media about flexible hours and stuff. In the retail sector, that's not obviously ideal. But like obviously having staff having a bit more freedom in their movements obviously is important, I think, these days. Like if they're going to go to the footy training or something, let them go early. I, I felt that really helped um, motivate them more because they had that flexibility. Do you feel that's important as well? Yeah, definitely. Being um, being innovative and creative, as long as you think it through, you must think through, okay, what's the worst case scenario of that strategy? You don't want them taking the piss at the same time as well. That's the hard part. <laughs> or you don't want to create an element in your business that's now DNA. That was, mm. you know, my, my mentor always says to me, hey, Stefan, 
all my problems today started out as a great idea. Right? <laughs> so, so, so in all fairness, however, what we're seeing a trend in the trades construction hardware industry right now, instead of four-week annual leave, five weeks. Mm-hmm. 25 days are now the annual leave sort of, you know, when you think about let's not put money down but let's think about being creative, that's one way of doing it. Or instead of the traditional RDO, which is also associated with a different type of mindset, let's let's think about RDO with a different perspective. Let's call it a family day out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to run it. Lo- I used to run a nine day fortnight, longer hour days, like a ten day hour day. Um, then they would always manage to sort of get a three day weekend as much as possible. I also feel if you um, if you create robust scoreboards like the scorecards, the brutal truth of every business. When we talk about communication. You, the moment you bring a scorecard to the table, the whole thing has just gone boom. It's gone to another level. So if you're collaborating with your team um, against targets, against scorecards, and those scorecards are achieved and overachieved, there's never a time when you say, I can't afford another person because it's a instantaneous automatic trigger mm-hmm. that says utilisation is high, average dollar spend is high, margin is high, it's an automatic reflex to go and create more space. In other words, create more people on the team. Mm-hmm. So bringing the scorecards to the tables, allowing bonus structures against high performance to be rewards. Do you feel bonuses are still important? Like in the industry in general, do you think bonuses are an important motivator? Like I know my, me personally, I'm not motivated by bonuses. I'll work hard no matter what, but that's me personally. I don't, I don't stri- strictly... Um, no, bonuses as a strict reference, no. However, a high-performance team being given a high-performance challenge that ultimately has a reward that might be of a financial bonus is a three-, four-part play, not a single, mm-hmm. it's a bonus. Yeah. A bonus for mediocrity is a just the old way it was, it was and yeah, hence. I'm not a fan of contractual bonuses. Yeah. I'm like, you're better off like if the team's, the team's kicking goals, like going, sweet, we're going out for dinner tonight because you guys yeah. are just killing it. Well, that, they're, they're elements of bonus. That's exactly. I think that's a better type of bonus, taking and, them all out for coffees and stuff like that. Yeah, and team bonus. I mean, we have plenty of our clients that are having, you know, if we don't meet the target, it's $2 Safeway barbecue <laughs> sausages, right? <laughs> if we achieve the budget, budget, it's $40 a kilo sausages from the best butcher <laughs> in town, right? So it's a bit of fun and game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's very important. You are talking about earlier, obviously, bringing um, in A-class sort of staff and everything and, and try and so then you can sort of share off workloads like like obviously a big part in business it, it's struggling with delegation of roles and that's like a as a business owners it's, it's always a hard one because you want to do everything and you see I see a lot of businesses business owners I should say um burning out maybe because they're not delegating well yeah so we we see that a fair bit and um I guess what we've learned and, and this was one of the first learnings I had in business many many years ago it's a, it's a it's a framework called the five R's, and the first the first component is you must do whatever it takes within your true thinking and design. Who is the right person for the role for the for the job I have available? The second part to that is what is the right role, and and exactly how is it defined, and what does that look like, and how do we ensure with the right responsibility, so the right person within the right role, within the right responsibilities. In other words, they truly know how they're measured. They truly know what they're accountable to. Getting paid the right money, that's the fourth one. 
which we've just spoken about and riffed a fair bit, fair bit about. That one is probably the hardest for many business owners too. Especially in such a competitive industry, a low margin industry in, in many cases too. Well, here's the trade-off. So the right person in the right role being clear and distinct about the right responsibilities, getting paid the right money, will always give you the right results. Mm-hmm. So when you think about that f- the, the framework and the right money is always, okay, what does that mean? Do I need to pay a lot more? Well, no, you don't. But if the market's paying X and you're still thinking about paying Y and you're wondering why you're only getting three versus 200, for which the, the initial 200 resumes you used to get were 197 useless anyway. Exactly right. right? So the right money is no different to what I shared earlier. It's $10,000 a year, $200 a week, $30 a day on a seven-day week makes the difference. Now, you go and think about $5 an hour and what that means for you as it relates to delegation mm-hmm. and the trust that you give versus, no, you've got to earn it, which is an old way of thinking. Mm-hmm. You've got to give trust and it's- then you've got to be okay for someone not being exactly like you because that ain't going to be. If you've got to pay $10,000 a day so you can go on a holiday for two weeks, who cares? Yeah, and, 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 and that – year, I should say. <laughs> and, and from a visionary point of view, I mean, what does that holiday look like if you went on it without the phone or the laptop? Mm. Is it a, then it's a real holiday. And that's a little bit of visionary. Like, that's a little – it's a little softer in the reference. However, building a team that's going to exceed you, which is a journey, and it typically, typically takes about four to five, seven years the moment you say, I'm going to make this happen. I'm dedicated to that. And delegation is a huge part which is a byproduct of communication. But delegation without a scorecard, you're setting yourself up for failure and disappointment and distrust, and therefore you will get burnt out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's like the delegation one's always a hard one. I see it in so many stores I speak to where like they're trying to do all their quotes for all their trade and then they're trying to run the floor and then they're going, well, my staff just aren't doing anything. It's like, well, because you're not letting them do anything. They've got to, again, they've got to break a couple of eggs to learn as well because that's how every business owner learns. And then they can work out how to fix their stuff-ups. Like, that's very important is is stuffing up in business. And and, and I, I would preface this with, um, you know, it's the theory, you know, don't treat it as a failure, treat it as a learning. Mm-hmm. But when it's all done and dusted, that's what it is. Yeah. And there's nothing out there that's so perfect that there hasn't been a, a learning if you treat it as a learning and you treat it quickly, you get to the point of, okay, how can we do this better? What's working? What's not working? What are we doing about it? That's a daily tri- trilogy as it relates to questions. Mm-hmm. If you're building a high-performance business, whether you're at day one or day 10,031, what's working, what's not working, what are we doing about it? The other set of those questions is this. What happened that shouldn't have happened today? What didn't happen that should have happened? What are we doing about that? Mm-hmm. Never point a finger. Just ask better questions. And therefore, delegation mm-hmm. is a natural, it's a natural reflex. Mm-hmm. But if you're wanting to do all the quotes because you know the formula and you want to pack all the shelves because you know the formula and you want to make all the deliveries unpacked and packed back on the shelves because you know the formula, well, you're setting yourself up for something that's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to burn yourself out and you're also probably not going to get the best out of your staff either because their responsibilities, their roles are not clear or defined and that's why you feel like you have to do them. You haven't done a good enough job in the sense of delegating to 
end up not having to do all of it yourself. And so many small and even medium business owners get burnt out. You see it five, ten years in sort of thing. They just, they're done and it's, but they have to keep going and they haven't kind of sorted that fix in the sense of either hiring the right staff or just having staff do the right, you know, objectives, having a scorecard, anything like that will get them probably an easier livelihood, to be honest, as a business owner. Yeah, so if, if, I, if I sort of reflect back on my journey, so the biggest business I ran had 75 people employed and it was a, um, it was a steep learning curve and there was a lot of parts to that that <laughs> have still left scars. But in fairness, if I didn't do that over 10 years, I wouldn't be yeah. since 2005 running the business growth and the business consultancy business I do now, which we look, over 200, look after 250-odd businesses throughout Australia and New Zealand and going from strength to strength and we've got a team of 15 currently at Business Benchmark Group. But the one thing I, I learned very early and, and it was about, you know, I don't want to do what my parents did. And this was back in the 90s, right? So what I learned very quickly was, okay, what does success look like for you? That was the question asked of me. What does it look like? Tell me more. Help me understand more. Basically, the framework of the further I can see and the further I have clarity and the confidence to do my job, as an owner, I have a responsibility to do my job, which means I must allow you to do your job on the same team. So the further work I did on that, the deeper work I did on that back in the early days, the easier it became to run a great business and we became a benchmark business and we truly led the industry in what we did and sold to millions when others were going broke all around us back in the 90s and early 2000s. So the key around, okay, what are you dissatisfied with? What are you truly frustrated with? What does it look like if it was a vision or an upside? What are the first steps to get you moving? So when it comes to team, you've got to be okay to let go. What are the first steps? If that works, what does it look like if that works and it helped you do more of that? So that's where delegation sort of hovers. It comes down to the trust and the ability to get things out of your mind, which you do exceptionally well and allow others to go at 80 90% that, that you can, but it's all in the instruction. And it's all in the freedom and the autonomy to let someone go and get them doing it. But clarity and vision of what you're building, truly believing that this thing will be running without you at one point, not tomorrow, in five, seven, ten years' time, is the start of something that gives you the freedom you need. That's obviously um, massively part of succession planning as well. If you want to sell the business or hand it on to the next generation or, or however you want to do it, so... Do you have any pointers like with succession planning for businesses? Yeah, so we refer to that, Andy, as um, exitability. And we refer to it as exitability because it's it's got a slight slant on succession planning. Mm-hmm. The ability to exit your business has two forks in the road. One is you build a business that's growing value, which means investors are going to be attracted to it. And your job is not to be the golden handcuff when it's sold, which means you need to hang around in someone else's business for the next five years because you didn't do the last piece of the puzzle, meaning you didn't get the management structure right. So that's one one fork in the road is build a management team that gives you exitability in terms of when you sell it to an investor. That gives you two, three, four, five additional uh, multiple points on the sale. The other way is build a management team that's going to overtake you and therefore you can truly become the investor in your own business, which means you just chair the board once a week 
or once a month, depending on what your engagement needs to be. So that, that's true exitability at a little, small business level. Sorry, mate. No, you're up, right, <laughs> <laughs> See that a lot in family businesses, obviously, like um, being involved in the couple and trying to help stores out. Like, like the, the parents go, oh, I'm going to hand it on to my son or, or daughter, and but I'll just work weekends. It's like you're sort of then not letting the next management team take over and they're still fiddling in the shop. And I've seen that in large stores and small stores as well. Like they just can't let go. Like Jeremy recommended to like helping to separate. Yeah. So having been born and bred in a family business and then unbeknown to me was running that business <laughs> uh, when it was never my plan, um, I, I have strong connection to that. And, and truly 40% of our clients are, you know, family businesses who have given themselves a chance to uh, hire the first external GM or CEO that's not family related and it's the best thing they ever did. So, you know, I have I have heaps to share on that. But my first and most important thing is, again, it comes down to not the privilege of being born into the family gives you the right to run this business that I've worked hard in over the last 15 years, 20 years. And it's a lot different now to what it was 25, 30 years ago. So family businesses, they still have a responsibility in handing over to the next generation. Well, what is the expectation of what we expect you to do here? And in my opinion, I've just come back from a trip up north where I spent a bit of time with a large family business as part of our vacation, and they're a multi, multi, multi multi-million dollar family business. The son and the daughter-in-law had to buy in to the business. I'm talking a million dollars down. It was not just their God-given right. They got some skin in the game then? Skin in the game. And that's where I was going to go with that. It's skin in the game. I don't say that needs to be the only way, but it just elevates accountability and I think working from the bottom is important too. Like if you've got to prove your worth or you've got to not buy your worth, but show that you're willing to invest. And in fairness to the second or third generation, going and working somewhere else Mm -hmm. for five to ten years and then coming back is the best thing you'll ever do. Yeah. Especially because you'll learn different management styles as well. Learn that you probably had it pretty damn good for a very long time too. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And and it it takes the burden away from the family business drama around the kitchen table on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, Christmas and have fun. I think in a family business, the elements of nepotism almost mean that you end up you know, you're the son of, the daughter of, you actually end up almost having to work to a higher standard to prove, you have to start from the bottom and you have to work to a higher standard to prove there's a reason you end up towards the top and it's not just your God-given right. It's not just because you're the boss's son, daughter, nephew, cousin, whatever. You actually have to prove to the people that work under you if you want to gain their respect and keep their respect and in theory keep them on as staff, keep them happy, it, it, you actually have to almost hold yourself to a high standard working. Well, that's the other side to that, to that story, isn't it? I mean, as the uh, child coming through, you need to work 110%. And, and that's not always fair either. No, absolutely. But I think to an extent, it's something you have to do if you want to, you have to prove those that doubt you sort of wrong in, in that sense. And there's plenty of places where the son just gets something, the daughter just gets something because of who they were, you know, born to and that's not necessarily fair but in saying that, if you want to beat that sort of stereotype, you've got your work cut out for you. And this is where I'll circle back to a sharing from earlier. Um, words are good and stories are great but the numbers never lie. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
if there's numbers on the table, whether you're a firstborn son or a 13th generational cousin, if the scoreboard is telling me a story, it makes no difference what your bloodline is. Absolutely. And, and that's what business is about. Yep, yep. And it's not the, you know, just because you were born into that family doesn't mean that you're necessarily the right fit for that family business either. There are obvious exceptions to that. Heaps, Hames is probably one of the biggest examples of that where the family continues to bring great things to the table, but they've also looked out, you know, they've also looked externally and some of the Hames family members have, you know, gone out, found jobs, done jobs, risen to a fairly high position in other roles and then come back to the family business it's, and elevated it. It's only a way a business can grow because then you've not got your blinkers on in the family way of doing business as well, which is very important because you don't learn new management styles from learning from your, your parents all the time. No, you don't learn you something to, new from the same thing. It's, that's exactly right. So your business can't grow. Obviously, if they've been doing it for 30 years, it's great, but doesn't mean it's the right way for 30 years either or the new way... I'm just reflecting about 15% of our clients would have their their heir apparents, their, their children, engage in a program with us mm-hmm. for two years before they're given any opportunity I to go to the next level. I think that's very important, yeah. yeah. What's your biggest, um, so when you're working with businesses at the moment, just a bit of a shift, um, what's your biggest complaint, say, or biggest problem with a lot of the businesses that you start working with? Like what's what are they coming in and saying, like, my cash flow is stuffed or my structure's stuffed or Yeah. So so we, we attract businesses that are I guess um our largest business would be a ninety ninety million plus and that's at the top end. But our typical business um in trade construction hardware would be a one to twenty million dollar revenue per year and up to about thirty five, forty people on the team. And our and our and our average our average is five mil with fifteen people on the team, mm. so the, the they're not broken businesses. Mm. And as much as cash flow could be perceived as an issue, it's more a debtor, it's more a debtor issue or a terms of trade being a little especially hardware industry like yeah. it's very debtor like yeah. it's, it's very debtor heavy. So it, it's more a case of we're not sticking to our own rules and mm. now we've got a bigger problem than we thought. Yeah, my mate will pay me next week. Yeah. Like it's, uh, it's, yeah, I'll just take this off the shelf and just put on my account. Trading terms can be the bane of any business. It can be the, you know, saviour of any business, but it can also be the bane of any business. Mm. So one of the critical drivers for us is helping our clients reduce their debtor days and not lose relationships, mm-hmm. right? You do it in a very um, elegant and, and assertive way, which is the only way you need to do that because it it's a rule that you created. It was always a hard one, like when you're trying to grow business with certain customers but then trying to chase it with the other hand. It's like you're sort of <laughs> shaking the hand and slapping him at the same time. Yeah. Like it's sort of like... Well, well, in fairness, I mean, if you've delivered your product and service on time mm-hmm. and on budget and a little bit more than what you promised, the only fair exchange for that is being paid on time. Mm-hmm. So it's not a difficult thing. Mm-hmm. It's the story in our head that makes it difficult. Yeah, true. So cash flow is is always up there as a, okay, we're not broken, but it's getting a little not quite uncomfortable right. and I'm losing a bit of sleep at night. But the biggest and most important issue we see, like in the first three months with every client, is their, their looseness around who is my ideal customer? Mm-hmm. What sort of projects are they working on? What sort of projects should we be working on? How is it that we're attracting them and making it easy for them to buy? We see that as the biggest problem. Mm-hmm. Most businesses don't have 
in, in the industries we're referring to here, they don't have a qualified sales process. Mm-hmm. And a sales process is the thing you do before. It's almost like the promise of what's going to happen after they become a customer. Mm-hmm. So if you train your future client as to what it's going to be like, in other words, your follow-up's got to be robust, your care factor and your curiosity and your true solution to the problem that they have or the need that they need solved, if you're not truly going deep in curiosity there, then you're leaving money on the table or you're not giving yourself a competitive advantage. So that's what we see as the biggest issue in business. We have businesses that are leaving thousands and millions of dollars on the table because their sales process is a little dysfunctional or misaligned across the one, two, five, ten people on the sales team whether it's the front-end counter or the owner upstairs or the guy helping put things in the cart, everyone's in sales. Then the third, and it's almost the biggest, is the team bit, which we've covered off today. Mm -hmm. So cash flow and the lack of financial literacy. Mm -hmm. And you don't need to be an accountant, but you can't be someone that's ignorant to the ratios that truly matter, Mm -hmm. whether it's your total employment cost versus income ratios, whether it's your utilisation ratios, whether it's your... Yeah, your efficiency and effectiveness ratios. And again, they sound like big words, but it's the language of business mm. and we need to know that. And therefore, as you translate that as we do, we've got a business analysis team that works with every one of our clients. On a monthly basis, we're giving and providing scorecards and scoreboards that are truly telling us what's working, what's not working and what to do with it. I look at myself and my my strategic um, team, we're, we're like neurosurgeons, like you're my patient coming in I've got to look at that report to realise, am I cutting the left side of the brain or the right side? Now, if you're coming into my operating theatre for brain surgery and I get brain surgery wrong by a millimetre, are you going to be okay with that? Probably not. So the reports are there for us and for you to gain financial literacy. So the lack of financial literacy, which is a byproduct of we've got no idea about who our ideal customer is and therefore every sale is a good sale, but no, it's not. Have you seen a part of that, um, like finding the right customers for your business, like supply chain management at the moment? Obviously, with the pine shortage right now, it's it's a killer. So, a lot of, it's very important to a lot of hardware stores, especially to start focusing what they are going to do because we don't know when the end of this timber shortage is going to be. Like, do they just start specialising in power tools or, or this? So they're now got to narrow their focus to a niche market a lot better. And just like obviously traditionally hardware stores were so broad in their supply chain. It's starting to narrow, I think, a bit. Well, yes. Um, it, it may mean that you need to be flexible, whether it's short term or it ends up being long term. You constantly be you, you constantly got to be reading the play and understanding, okay, where are the quacking ducks? And and are we are we feeding them? If 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 for whatever reason the supply chain is getting tighter and you're just watching it happen and not moving, well, it's no different to a shooting duck. Mm-hmm. You're going to get killed in that because everyone's in that pond swimming in the same direction and it ain't good. But in saying that, what can you do as to securing what is needing to be secured for your top A-grade or B-grade customers and making sure you're not the one that has nothing? Because while you have nothing, someone's got something. And it ain't just the Bunnings, by the way, which is – which is a story in the market right now. Oh, the big boys are buying everything and the little boys have got nothing. Well, that might be true, but what are you doing about it is the only question to be answered. Mm-hmm. So, yes, adaptability and flexibility 
awareness and experience, which is which are all parts of rigor. So in our business, we play the game of rigid and rigor. Mm-hmm. Rigor is about being very familiar with what's going on, experienced enough and aware enough to be flexible. Rigid is about the things I'm going to be really tight with and uncompromising with. That's your culture. But the way you do business in today's world, you've got to be adaptable. Mm-hmm. Have to be. And obviously the smaller businesses can do that a lot easier because oh. they can move so much quicker. I think what you shared earlier, you've seen 40% growth um, over the COVID period in independent hardware stores. That That is, I mean, many of our clients are- And it's holding a lot of the time too, which is crazy. Many of our clients are experiencing 100% year-on-year growth right now. Crazy. <laughs> and, and that's flowing to the bottom line because of their efficiencies and effectiveness and, and no one's working any harder. They're just working truly in collaboration with their resourcing um, elements. I've seen a lot of, like, obviously because everyone's been just so under the pump, a lot of people have started consolidating their ranges and their stores a lot more and their businesses just consolidating what they're doing so that they don't have a, such a broad focus. Yeah. So I think that's important now. Yeah, so we invested a lot of our time last year with many of our clients and our, um, I guess, our, our um, alliances in educating, you know, right-sizing the business. What do you need to do to right-size your business, which is the consolidation piece. Mm. You know, where, where have we been fat? Where have we... I guess, confuse the element of more is better. Mm-hmm. How do we create an element of less is better and tighter is better, which is also the ideal target market thinking? You know, the more niche you become, like the river that's five miles wide and three inches deep is known as a mud bath. The piece that's two inches wide and five miles deep is where the diamonds are. Mm-hmm. You've got to become a diamond searcher mm-hmm. and you've got to be tight and it's tough at the start, but you've got to push through and resilience and... And trust is the key thing. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously that, that comes across like it helps you manage your supply chains, manage your staff, manage your expectations of your customers. It, it, it's very important, I think. It's priority. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for everyone listening to this podcast, if you just went back and reviewed your customer journey process, if you stretched out your customer journey process before they buy you, when they buy you, the moment you put the invoice and collect the bill – collect the invoice, what does that whole process look like and who's playing the game with you and who's not playing the game? Which part of your team, which part of your process is letting you down right now, end-to-end, customer journey process. Now, that that gives you an opportunity to think about any prospect that qualifies to be an ideal customer, a future customer, a long-term relationship what are you doing about that process to ensure you're making it easy for them to buy? Once they buy the first time, what are you doing about keeping them for life? And how are you ensuring you have a very clear and robust understanding? I'm doing this for you. The least you can do is pay me on time. Customer journey process all the way through, underpinned by, by elevated, elegant communication. Now, I suppose this would be a good lead into a little bit of a plug uh, to Stefan is hosting an online Q&A session sponsored by the Hardware Journal. Uh, and we were just, I suppose, kind of wondering who that would benefit, what kind of businesses would, you know, take advantages out of that, who should really be interested in having a watch, having a listen, asking you questions, getting into it with you. Well, I think if you're... Um 
I mean, anyone that's running a business, particularly in hardware, trades and or construction, which which is, I feel, the audience we're speaking with right now, if you're running a business that has more than three people employed, which I'm thinking most of anybody listening to this would, um, for the sake of curiosity and perhaps investing an hour or so with us and walking away with 1%, 1% curiosity as to how can I do this better? and ultimately have some answers as to how you could do that immediately would be um, the ideal person to be turning up. People who are open-minded about what's possible, people who are truly invested in better and, and not needing to break the back in doing that is what we're going to be sharing. So, you know, the Building a Benchmark Independent Hardware Business, which is the name of the workshop we're running, and Harry and I have sat down and truly designed that so it's delivering value um, I encourage everyone to be on board with that. And I'm sure that all of our listeners and just about every business owner in this country would probably freely admit that they're not perfect, nobody is, no business is perfect, and that's just the way it is. And even if we manage to get 1% closer, that's the difference for some between closing their doors and prospering. Yeah, and, and, and the way we deliver our um, our workshops, they're very interactive, very um, collaborative and there's opportunity right throughout the um, the presentation and the sharing to uh, to be engaged, involved, and included. There's no question that we would consider as you got to be kidding. Um, we're very giving in our time, and we just want to ensure that the industry, and particularly the independent hardware industry, continues to thrive. It's the backbone of the uh, of the country, and we truly uh, want to support it as much as we can. And we're just one part of it. Yeah, cool. I really appreciate. Your time, Stefan. It was absolutely awesome. Um, yeah, thank you. Learned a fair bit. Hopefully our listeners have too. Um, yeah, that, that was great. How did you go with that, Jamie? Yeah, it was good. It was very good to hear from what would absolutely be considered an expert in this field, in employment, in dealing with the day-to-day runnings of a business and the bigger picture as well. Thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate the opportunity and may everyone um, have a great day out there. Yeah, cool. That, that was great. So, um Hope everyone really enjoyed that. Our um, next episode, um, we're going to be talking to an experienced recruitment specialist in the industry, John. Um, with um, he's got over twenty years' experience in uh, recruitment, um, and he's got an emphasis in the hardware industry and the building industry as well. So that will be a really interesting listen as well. Um, if anyone ever wants to reach out to us, give us some, um, ask us some questions, stuff. That'd be great. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Cheers.